Blog Talk Radio. Diabetes Late Night. Christmas is you to be tuning in for our December late night podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and tonight we're spotlighting the holiday music of Mariah Carey and focusing on the positive impact that practicing gratitude can have on your overall diabetes health. Now, it seems like Mariah Carey has a lot to be grateful for. She has 18 number one singles on the Hot 100, over 2 million record sales worldwide, two adorable twins, and her new billionaire boyfriend, James Packer, just gave her a half a million dollar necklace that she wore recently on Good Morning America. Plus, she also has one of the best-selling Christmas albums of all time, which we're playing tonight courtesy of Sony Music. Now, back in 1994, Mariah said her goal when she was recording this album was to provide her fans with an album that would have a Christmas feel by featuring a mixture of soulful tracks as well as fun and joyous holiday tunes. I think that's a good thing because the holidays are a depressing time for a lot of people who are living with diabetes. How do you feel about the holidays? Do you feel deprived because you feel like you can't let go and celebrate like everybody else? Well, diabetes shouldn't stop you from enjoying the holiday celebration. With some planning, a little preparation, and some sparkling inspiration from tonight's guest, we want to help you stay healthy all through the holiday season. Joining me tonight are poet Lorraine Brooks, the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, author of Unleash Your Inner Diabetes Dominator, Danielle Hargan Raider, and the CEO of InsoCloud, Jose Luis, plus Mama Rosemarie. Now, before we get things started, take a minute and donate to Divabetic at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Did you know that our big-haired, high-heeled diva inspiration, Mariah Carey, has scored more hits and sold more records than any other artist since 1990? I don't know. Maybe Adele's going to change all that. But right now, Mariah sits at the top. She's still setting records, too, because according to Billboard magazine this week, her Merry Christmas album is in the top ten for the holiday albums for the first time in 17 years. Let's take a listen to another irresistible cut from this popular album. Welcome back to Divey's Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and tonight we're talking about the positive impact gratitude has on your overall diabetes health. Did you know that our Diva Inspiration Mariah Carey recently lost 45 pounds? That's right. She showed off her felt new body at the Macy's Day Parade. I think she's looking so good, she could join the men and women living with type 1 diabetes who are featured in the new 2016 new diabetes advocacy calendar called TD1 Exposed. This fabulous calendar is a perfect stocking stuffer because it features tasteful nude portraits of people living with type 1 diabetes, embracing the changes it makes to their lives and their bodies. Visit td1exposed.org for more information. The cost is only $20, and all the proceeds are donated to the JDRF CARB-DM and diabetes youth families. 
Now, tonight we're talking about the holidays, and you always think of Christmas. Well, did you know that for over 500 years, most holiday gifts were either homemade and given to children, or they were simply charity given to the poor? You might be scratching your head in disbelief because today gift giving just seems to be so commercial, right? I mean, I saw uh, Christmas trees in the stores when there were still Halloween hadn't even happened. I thought uh, in order to celebrate the holidays, we'd take a step back in time and find out what Christmas was like 70 years ago during the Depression when Shirley Temple dolls were as popular as the iPhone watches are today. Please welcome my first guest to the show, Mama Rosemarie. Hello, Mama Rosemarie. Hello, Mr. David Baddick. It's nice to be in here. Okay, Mom. Well, tell us a little bit about this. You were a child growing up in the Great Depression, and uh, I've heard this story many times. Uh, I believe you wrote to Santa, and you were, what did you want to get that Christmas when you were turning five or six? Well, I was born in uh, during the Depression and grew up during World War II, and things were a little scarce. And so I did write to Santa, and I asked Santa for a Shirley Temple doll. I also asked him for a little chair and table set, you know, like the little children sit at. I thought that was so cute. So... Um, Unfortunately, I didn't get the Shirley Temple doll. I got another one in place of it, and Santa wrote me a little note and said that the elves didn't make enough for all the girls, the little girls who wanted a Shirley Temple doll. So he sent me the uh, another one. And as far as the little table and chair sat, well, when I woke up that morning, I could still remember running down to the stairs and looking at the Christmas tree and just seeing the table with no chairs. And that was another thing that Santa wrote me. He said that uh, there just wasn't enough wood to make the chairs because it was during the war and all those materials were necessary for us to win the war. So um, I am so... Uh, impressed by that, I should say, because probably if I had gotten that whole table and chair set, I wouldn't have this memory. But I do remember that it was so special to even get the table. I was very fortunate. And we should tell everyone that during the bleak years of the Great Depression that Shirley Temple really was a symbol of happiness and hope. And at that time, a Shirley Temple doll cost about $3, which wasn't very cheap, was it? Well, I don't think so because I think um, things were uh, much less expensive than they were today. That's for sure. And three dollars probably was quite a bit. Um, I don't. I, of course, was a child, so I don't remember um, how expensive things were. But I can imagine during Depression and World War II that um, three dollars was a lot of money for Santa Claus to spend. And um, what did Santa give to women, uh, to girls and boys who were kind of naughty instead of presents? Well, let me tell you, I would put my stocking out every Christmas Eve, and every Christmas morning I found a piece of black coal in there along with a couple oranges and things of that nature. We didn't get all the goodies that people get in their stocking today. We got probably fruit and cookies and things like that. But for me, there was always a little piece of coal just to let me know that I hadn't been always a little good, a good little girl. Well, you know, what I think, listeners, is so amazing about this story is because that little girl grew up, and she made sure that Christmas was very special for all her children. We never went without our gifts. You always made sure that we got everything we wanted from Santa and then more, and you made every holiday so special, Mom, that when I think back to the fact that my mother didn't get the chair to her table or she didn't get her first choice, which was the Shirley Temple doll, and that you went out of your way with Dad to make sure we got everything we wanted. It's just a very special memory for me. Thank you. I, I'm so glad I made that memory for you. I really am. It was my pleasure to do that. I think and this Mrs. Santa Claus got bit, just as much thrill. Go ahead. Excuse me. I said, uh, what's your tip for this month? 
Oh, my tip for this month is going back to your gratitude. Uh, This month is about the importance of gratitude. Gratitude helps us see our situation, whether we're newly diagnosed or living with diabetes for more than a decade. It can lessen panic and could open up our thinking to new solutions and better health. When we can see the good as well as the bad, it becomes more difficult to complain and easier to find a solution. Try to give at least one compliment each day during this holiday season. It can be to a person or it can be just asking someone to share your appreciation of something else, like saying, oh, I love how quiet it is in the morning. Don't you? Most of us aren't hardwired to be grateful. But with every compliment given, you can see a bond is strengthened, trust is built, and conversation is encouraged. And with this, I'd like to say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everybody, and ciao for now. Okay, well, wait one minute, because I just want to put that tip to use. You're on the eve of your 80th birthday, huge milestone, and I want to express my gratitude to you for being such a wonderful mother. You've always been the most beautiful, smartest, strongest, courageous, kind-hearted, stylish, and generous woman I've known in my life. You gave me the ultimate gift by encouraging my creativity and nurturing my imagination. And I feel so fortunate to be your son and have the ability to express my gratitude for you for making every holiday of my life so special. So um, happy holidays, Mom. I love you very much. Thank you very much. And I love you and all the divas and dudes, and I hope they have a happy, healthy New Year to come. All right, well, it's time to hear December's Diva Inspiration, Mariah Carey, perform a popular Christmas carol composed in 1818 in a small town of Austria. Let's listen to Silent Night. You're listening to Diabetes Late Night, and I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic. Hey, make sure to join us on Thursday, December 17th, for our monthly Divabetic Club meeting at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia, where you'll have the chance to meet fun, fabulous, and friendly diabetes educators like my next guest, Patricia Addy Gentle. Please welcome to the show, Patricia. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Max. Hi, Divabetic. Uh, We're celebrating the holidays, Patricia, and we're talking about the positive impact that practicing gratitude has on your overall diabetes health. You know, a recent study on gratitude at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine, reported that the more grateful we are, the healthier we become. They found that grateful people have less depressed moods, sleep better, have more energy, and and actually have healthy hearts. In fact, Gratitude seems to fend off depression, stress, and anxiety, which can increase the risk of heart disease. Now, I know that heart disease is closely linked to diabetes, but I'm hoping you could explain a little bit of that connection to our listeners tonight. Of course, Max. You know, about 65% of people who have a diagnosis of diabetes or prediabetes go on to develop heart disease. And we need to put it out there and make that awareness um, public amongst all people who do have diabetes so that we can help them to decrease the risk for that development. So what happens is when the blood sugars are extremely high or for that uh, part, they don't have to be extra high, but just out of range. With blood sugars being high, then that puts extra pressure in the vessels. And we have vessels throughout the body, not only in the heart, but in the eyes and in the lungs. And in in the, every area of the body is vascular. And so we have potential for developing complications in all of these vessels which leads to a high propensity for heart disease. Uh, The heart has to pump blood to all parts of the body. And so when you have increased resistance, a thickness, a stickiness, 
um, extra thick blood that the heart is pumping, that increases the pressure. So as you can see, uh, blood sugar of 80 with blood flowing normally is quite a difference if you have blood sugar of 200 or even 140, 150, it puts extra resistance in the vessels, and this is what leads to heart disease. Reaching and I the know target. you – oh, I'm sorry. Go on. Go ahead. No, no, I was wondering what the targets were, what, just what you were going to say. Okay. Our target, we, we're aiming for blood sugars, early morning blood sugars, fasting before eating. Between 80 to 100 would be good for a person with a diagnosis. And throughout the day, if you could keep the blood sugar, uh, even after eating in the fed state, um, less than 140, that's wonderful. When we see a blood sugar 180 or greater, that's when we really advise you to do something about that. You have to take a look and, and uh, analyze what was eaten, how much exercise did you get. Look at what you drank. Um, think about maybe adding water or decreasing the, the calorie caloric intake, and especially when sugars and starches are involved. So those are the things that we would look at to try and decrease that blood sugar because high blood sugars do cause problems. And, you know, a little bit earlier my mom was talking about how special a Shirley Temple gift was, but I would think for a lot of people with diabetes who are on someone's Christmas lift, a blood pressure monitor at home would be a great gift, right? That would be a wonderful thing. It's important to check the blood pressure because you want to know what the pressure is in those vessels. Keeping the blood uh, pressure uh, 180 the top number of 180, a bottom number of 80 or le excuse me, 130 for the top number and 80 or less for the bottom number helps you to decrease the risk for heart disease. And stroke as well, right? Exactly. Heart disease, hardening of the vessels, any resistance in the vessels lead to increased risk for stroke as well as heart attack. I love it. Well, thanks for being a part of the show. Now, before we go, Patricia, what are you grateful for this holiday season? I am grateful for so many things, but if I had to choose, I would say family and friends, having people around me and an entourage of care, people who are supportive and people who I can always find um, a way to talk to and have my um, thoughts heard and and knowing that I have a listening ear and a sounding board helps to uh, bring about happiness for me. I'm very grateful for those things. Well, I'm grateful to have you on the show. And stick around because we're going to have the author of Unleash Your Inner Diabetes Dominator on a little bit, and I'd love to get your feedback on that when we have Danielle Guestine. All right, now okay. the next Christmas classic, uh, Patricia, is performed by uh, Mariah Carey, features words composed by the English hymn writer, Isaac Watts, based on the second half of Psalm um, Palm 98 in the Bible, Watts wrote the words, Joy to the World, as a hymn glorifying Christ's triumphant return at the end of the age, rather than a song celebrating his first coming. The nations are called to celebrate because God's faithfulness to the house of Israel has brought salvation to the world. And here is Mariah Carey's version of that. I love that version of Joy to the World. Hey, you're listening to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. And join me next Tuesday night, December 15th, for my final podcast of the year. We're focusing on aging and diabetes, talking to some wonderful guests on that show. You don't want to miss it. Tonight, though, we're talking about having gratitude in our lives. Did you know that Diva Inspiration... Um, Mariah Carey just launched her limited edition to MAC lipstick in the hopes of making all your holiday dreams come true. That's right. It's a champagne-hued lipstick entitled What Else But All I Want. 
Now it's time to meet my next guest, who I know is grateful because he's having a wonderful run with a new product. It's called InsuClock. And please welcome Jose Luis. Hello, Jose. I know he's there. Hello. Hello, Max. Hello, Max. I, I'm. I hear you. We all hear you. Hello. You're here. You know, I love talking about new devices and new technologies that could really help people stay healthy uh, living with diabetes. And I know this product you're going to be telling us about, the device you created, is based on your own experience living with type one diabetes. So tell us first a little bit, um, Jose, about your life living with diabetes. Well, yes, it's true. Um, I'm a type 1 diabetic. Uh, since I was 18 years old, I have been fighting with this disease. So I know firsthand uh, what diabetes is all about. I'm coming from uh, a diabetic family. My sister is diabetic, and uh, I'm a diabetic too. Um, I have two children, and I, I'm, I'm afraid that they will be diabetic someday. So I think it's uh, uh, diabetic in my life is uh, very important here. Yeah. I'm sure. Now, where are you from? We should just tell everyone where you're from. I'm from, I'm from Spain. You are from Spain. Okay, so how, how do you think um, – tell me a little bit about how Spanish culture handles diabetes. Well, um, in uh, in Spain we have uh, a lot of a lot of diabetic patients too. Uh, you you know that uh, uh, diabetes causes uh, more than 1.5 million deaths every year, and uh, even more than breast cancer. And in the in the in the world we are 302 million, and here in Spain we are 4 million of patient, diabetic patients. And uh, this is now, but uh, tomorrow will be 500. Million. According to the WHO, the, the World Health Organization in in Spain, uh, the the um, the number increased too because uh, we we have uh, the sedentary uh, um, sedentary uh, type of of, uh, uh, of life. So it's a very very important problem here in Spain too, like in USA. Right, and one of those goals that the growing population is dealing with specifically those living with type 1 diabetes, is insulin and their injections. And so your device, the InsuClock, uh, answers a couple key questions about managing your diabetes if you're living with type 1, which is when do you inject yourself, how much medicine do you administer, and what type of insulin um, did you give yourself with the last injection. So tell us a little bit about this device and why you created it. Well, uh, like you say, um, uh, Intuclock is, is, is very awesome project. Uh, in, in the web, yourdiabetesundercontrol.com, you can you can see more information. But uh, I'm going to, to explain one minute. Uh, Intuclock is a system based on a on a device uh, which is joined uh, to the insulin pen and an application on our mobile. And this device, uh, this device is uh, is universal device. You can join in every insulin pen. And can be very important information for the patient, for diabetic patient, like uh, amount of medication, uh, frequency of the shot, type of insulin, and uh, as well as you can introduce parameters associated uh, with higher or lower glucose in your blood. So all this information is, uh, is sent to in your mobile, and uh, we can check it with uh, an insulin shuttle running a, a mobile app, and then uh, the information sent, is sent uh, to the cloud. And, is, and your doctor, could, your healthcare provider could access that information in real time. So, again, this device, the InsuClock, is connected to your insulin pen, and it could tell you the amount of insulin you're taking, the purpose of the shot, the temperature of the insulin, and all that information, as Jose just said, is sent to your mobile device. And also your, your doctor uh, can also check out that information in real time. What made you want to create this device? Uh, well, uh, uh, with, uh, with this uh, um, is, uh, this uh, device for me is, is very important because uh, look, my, my, I inject myself five times a day, so I realize that I have a, a big problem because when uh, when I inject my insulin, a lot of time I can't remember uh, uh, that if I did the injection or not, and if uh, if this is a, a problem for me, imagine uh, a child or elderly people, so. So 
uh, that was a very big problem because um, uh, if I put my injection again and I had the first injection, I must go to the to the hospital because uh, I can't feel the diabetic coma. And the other case, if uh, I haven't the injection, uh, I don't inject uh, my insulin, and my glucose in, in blood is, uh, uh, will be very high, and it's a hyperglycemic. Uh, Why this problem is, uh, uh, I became to, to study the uh, and have information about diabetes. And, um, and I conclude that, uh, that uh, for diabetic patients, the problem is not the diabetes, it's how the disease will be managed. Amputation, uh, bleedness, uh, even the death is not because diabetes, it's because of lacking of care. So uh, we, we have very good insulin and drugs uh, with a high level of quality, but uh, the problem is the, the, the human hand. So with uh, Insuclock, uh, uh, we think that uh, we, we, we solve this, this very, very big problem. And we should tell everyone, you spent two years researching and testing the Insuclock while you were developing it. And now, what would you like people to do who want to find out more about it? Well, uh, the, truth is, uh, the, the core of the, of the project is a group of people affected uh, for, for the diabetes, but, but uh, the project is very, very warm, very emphatic, and um, so a lot of great and, and very well-known teams help us, and, and public, uh, public organization too. The, the European Union support us. Uh, they have chosen us among several thousand projects uh, in, in, the, in the whole union. Uh, Hemodia Foundation, one of the most important hospitals in that diabetic in Europe uh, support us too. And uh, the, the most important support is about the Emory University in Atlanta, with Guillaume Montpierre leading the team. Uh, they are one of the most important diabetic teams in the USA and, and in the world. So, so uh, this project is not ideas, it's, uh, it's, it's a reality, um, and we are, we are going to, to, to solve this, this, this very big problem. Great. All right. Well, uh I want to end by asking you, Jose, what are you grateful for this holiday season? Uh, uh, sorry, uh, could you repeat, please? I, I couldn't hear What you. are you happy about this holiday season? What are you grateful for? Ah, okay. So I wish that uh, that every diabetic patient improve uh, his quality life and hope of life too. Um, tell me, uh, within the club, uh, we we reach my 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 wish. Uh, so, uh, if you permit me, Max, uh, I would like to to ask every people that uh, is a diabetic or has a son or father or or friend like a diabetic patient, visit the web yourdiabetesundercontrol.com and help us with. Uh, our crowdfunding campaign. We have uh, only till uh, 24th of December to reach uh, uh, $30,000 and, and help us uh, to start this amazing project uh, to be a reality. So I'd like to, to come with, uh, with the support uh, with all people uh, in your diabetes on the control.com. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being a part of the show. Before we Thank meet you. our next guest, let's take a listen to Mariah Carey's version of a Christmas classic that was first performed by Eddie Cantor on his radio show in November 1934. I hope Mama Rosemarie's listening. Here we go. Let's take a listen. I guess you could say the inner diabetes dominator is coming to town. Hey, you're listening to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and it's time to unleash your inner diabetes dominator. Please welcome author Danielle Hargenrader. Hello, Danielle. Hi, Max. How are you tonight? I'm fabulous, and I'm even better because you're joining me. Um, what did you think of the insulin, um, the InsuCloud, the device that uh, Jose was talking about? Uh, it certainly sounds like something that could be very helpful for a lot of people, certainly, like you said, uh, children and elderly people. And I mean, I know I'm currently on an insulin pump, which I've been on for the past three years, but when I was injecting using um, manual injections and pens and things like that, I can't tell you how often I forgot whether or not I bolus for a meal. So it certainly sounds like it could be a very helpful device. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I hope people check it out. I'll be blogging about it after the show. All right, now, Danielle, you were diagnosed around the age of nine, which is pretty much in that prime time of Christmas. What was it like celebrating holidays in your childhood with diabetes? Well, I was uh, celebrating the holidays. I had uh, half of a, of a Jewish family and half of a non-Jewish family, so I was very lucky to get, you know, Hanukkah and Christmas and kind of everything was inclusive. And I have to be honest, you know, having diabetes wasn't didn't change the fact that the holidays were around uh, for me much. Uh, we, I'm really excited to be on tonight specifically because gratitude is the topic of conversation. I was always taught to live with an attitude of gratitude, to always be grateful for what you have and not so much dwell on what you don't have. So even though I did have diabetes around the age of nine, it wasn't until I kind of came into my pre-pubescent and puberty years where, you know, I might have lost touch with that importance of gratitude, but now I'm much more in touch with it again. Thanks. Diabetes really had too much of an effect on my celebration of the holidays because of my amazing parents and how they didn't let it, you know, bring me down. And are you the only person living with diabetes in your family? I am. I am the only person who has ever had diabetes in my family, type 1. I have an, one aunt who has type 2, but nobody else in my family has ever had type 1. So everyone got educated when you were diagnosed, correct? Like your parents had to be educated as well around the treatment plan? Yes, I would say that everybody did need to be educated, but back in 1991 when I was diagnosed, um, there wasn't a lot of education. My mom, who actually wrote the foreword in my book, one of them, she even said that, you know, they sent, we, we spent a week in the hospital. They taught us how to inject, you know, using an orange and a needle, and, you know, they gave us some pretty um, basic information about what needed to be done. But, you know, they sent us home with a little pamphlet and kind of just said, go ahead. And there really wasn't that much support or information given, so we did a lot of trial and error to figure things out. Luckily, my family was a pretty awesome unit of uh, strong people. But you did have a little bit of a roller coaster experiencing living with diabetes because I know uh, you look radically different today than you might have looked, I would believe, 10 years ago, right? Absolutely, yes. So tell so, us a little uh, bit I'll, about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to give the, the short version of that. So, I mean, so when I was nine, everything was okay, but about three years later, was actually the day after my 12th birthday. My father passed away very suddenly, and it's actually interesting that we're talking about heart disease because he passed away from a heart attack. He had, and this was very unexpected. There were no, you know, we had no idea that this was even coming. It was very suddenly. He uh, co-owned a plumbing company. So the week before the, his heart attack, he was running his company, you know, going out, being a plumber. The next week he had a massive heart attack. He had a quadruple bypass surgery at Hahnemann Hospital, which you know because we are Philadelphia, and mm -hmm. he never made it out of the surgery. So he quite literally died from one week to the next. We had no, you know, warning signs, anything like that whatsoever. So that was the day after my 12th birthday. And after that happened, I spiraled into a very deep depression. I stopped taking care of my diabetes, and my depression was fueled by a binge eating disorder. I would eat and eat and eat food. I mean, I would hide it. I, you know, my mom had to work a full-time job, so on my way home from school, I'd stop at the store and buy food, and I'd hide it under my bed, and I'd eat it when my mom was asleep or when she was at work still before she got home, and I ballooned up to over 200 pounds, and my diabetes was massively out of control. I had an A1C of about 13-plus percent from the time I was about 12 and a half, 13, till the time I was about 18 when I really started to understand more as an adult that it was the choices that I was making that was fueling my kind of misery and depression and not necessarily, you know, diabetes or the death of my father that was actually to blame for my feelings of sadness. And did you seek help around um, the binge eating disorder from a trained psychologist, therapist, or someone from the mental health field? So I certainly had a number of different visits with um, psychologists, psychiatrists. I don't know that any of them were trained with the binge eating because back then I actually didn't come out and admit that that was even happening until I was well into my re own recovery. It was actually, you know, I kind of dealt with it on my own. And I, you know, but I did see psychologists for, you know, dealing with the death of my father, for living with diabetes and things like that. So I'm sure in turn um, that, that helped me out for sure. 
And it's been easy. I would assume binge eating is secretive, right? It's something that people yeah. keep in because I've seen a couple of specials on it. Um, what? How? How long were you living with binge eating in your life? About twelve to probably very close to the end of seventeen, uh, almost eighteen years old. So the entire, I guess that's what is that six, seven so years, all something like really, that. The teen years. So I know there's a lot of listeners out there. We we've had Asher Brown on the show a couple months ago, who I know you're familiar with from the wonderful organization We Are Diabetes, talking a little bit about diabolemia. But I all you know we did a show about this topic in October, and there were uh, several emails around binge eating, specifically around women such as yourself who were type one. How were you, and you mentioned that it didn't work with managing your diabetes at all. Have you talked to other women who were binge eating and who are also in recovery, and have they shared similar stories that you have? Absolutely. Asha Brown is actually a very close friend of mine. There's another very close friend of mine who has type 1 diabetes, Dr. Jody Stanislaw, who is a naturopathic doctor who also has been living with type 1 diabetes. She's been living for 35 years. She also had an eating disorder and sought treatment for it as well. Um, so it's been in the recent, probably in the recent past three or four years, that I've been very open with it and realizing that my ability to share my experience with other people allows me to help other people get through their own struggles. So I think that talking to people who understand what it is that you're going through is one of the most powerful tools that we have at our fingertips with the Internet today, uh, and especially with Ash's organization, We Are Diabetes, who specifically deals with eating disorders. But I've had many clients who have diabetes, who have eating disorders as well, because I think that just the amount of mental energy that has to go into our relationship with food because we have diabetes, with the carb counting, with the insulin counting, with all of that, it's difficult to not develop some level of dysfunction pretty much with anything that you have to be basically obsessed with. So it's difficult, it's a fine line to walk, for sure. And what was the point when you decided to take action and move forward? Because then your life really did change, and I want to start talking about the book. But before we do, because I know we probably have someone listening who is dealing with this right now, what really changed things for you? What really changed things for me was that I realized that then that I felt like I was on the inside was not being reflected to the outside world because I was unable to express myself fully because I wasn't giving myself the love and respect that I deserved as a human being. And that was not just something that just happened, you know, overnight. I had a lot of, I've gone to a lot of personal development seminars. I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins, you know, things like that where, you know, Marianne Williamson, where you're very encouraged to understand that each one of us as a human being is very important. We're all here for a reason. We all have a purpose in life. But when we don't treat ourselves with respect and love, we are unable to express that purpose fully. And I realized that by allowing myself to continue to choose to live this lifestyle that I was living, that I wasn't giving myself that love and respect and that I would never actually be able to interact with the world in a way that I was actually put here for, if that makes sense. It does. So now at your top weight, at a high A1C, you decide to dive full head into your diabetes and actually go not only one step further than just managing it, you decide to learn about it. Yes. Yeah. So I decided that because luckily, um, because my mom is an amazing cook and she always involved me in the kitchen, I always had a love of cooking. So nutrition was always something that I was familiar with. I knew what to do. I just didn't actually do it. So I began using my skills in the kitchen for good instead of for bad. And I also decided to get my degree in college in nutrition science. I said, I mean, I was always a straight-A student, and that was thankful to my father who, you know, starting in first grade, used to offer me $5 for every A that I brought home. And I might sound silly now, but to someone who's six years old, that's a pretty big deal. And that has always stuck with me throughout my whole life. So I knew I could use my brain to make my relationship with my body better. Uh, So I got my degree in nutrition science, and then years later after that, probably about four or five years after that, I decided to 
go to personal training school, which is a 500-hour, four-day-a-week course for six months when I entered, you know, my relationship with exercise was next to nothing. I had the nutrition side down because I felt comfortable, and that was much more, to me, nutrition is science. I, you know, that's, I'm an admitted nerd. I love to learn. So I could get the science part of nutrition down, and that wasn't a big deal. But exercise was another story because I was intimidated by it. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to start. I, I was embarrassed to be seen by other people because I was overweight. Exercising, it was just a whole thing. But with my husband's encouragement and with just a, a large amount of uh, belief in myself and my abilities to do things, I, I enrolled in this school and six months later came out, you know, I couldn't do one single push-up when I went in and I came out being able to do 30 or, or more. And it just, that six months changed my life. It changed what I believed was possible for me and my abilities as a human being. And the rest was kind of history. And I just uh, decided that that was my purpose in life was to help other people, specifically with diabetes, to find their power, to find, to change what they believe is and is not possible for their lives. And to show them that having diabetes should never be the reason why you don't follow your dreams, chase your passion, and live life to the fullest the ability that you have. And we should tell everyone, the book is Unleash Your Inner Diabetes Dominator. You tell your stories and you give amazing tips and you also share uh, stories from other people living with diabetes. And one of the things you've talked about tonight, but one of the focuses really in this book is about this power of choice, like you're talking about. Now, uh, I want to, I think we we talk a lot about it with food, but fitness is a big one too, the power of choice. A lot of women, like you said, and men are intimidated by the gym or the idea of weights. How did you change that relationship with working out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that's the thing that I think we all have a lot of what I like to refer to as limiting beliefs about, beliefs that we have in our minds that aren't necessarily true, but we believe them and they've been the things that we've been kind of referring to for so long that they've become our kind of the track that we play over and over again. The thing about fitness is I like to, you know, to play into the choice. You know, we can choose to get up and take a walk or we can choose to sit down and watch TV. People have this kind of preconceived notion that taking a walk is not enough. And I'm here to tell you that it is enough. That if you're not moving on a regular basis, walking is fantastic. There is nothing. You don't need to do anything more. And that can just be your intro into it. You know, depending on how far you can walk, walk a mile, you know, or walk half a mile. And just, you know, have fun with seeing, you know, over a week or a month or two months how much faster you're able to walk that one mile or add on another half a mile. You know, play with it. See if you can do it a little bit faster. See if you can go a little bit further. You don't even have to worry about ever running or even jogging. If that's something that you want to end up doing, then that's great and it's wonderful to have aspirations. But you need to start somewhere, and that's a choice. Like I always say, it's a choice to eat a five or to eat Ben and Jerry's, or it's a choice to run a 5K, or it's a choice to watch TV, or it's a choice to get up and take a walk. But a walk is enough. A 10-minute walk is enough. Even if that's all you have, you don't have to dedicate an hour to fitness for it to make a huge difference in your diabetes management. Huge. There, I mean, there's, the benefits are endless. And what were some of the changes you saw? And I don't just mean physically, I mean mentally and spiritually through all this change because we're getting back to the topic of gratitude, Danielle, and, and I'm just curious what um you know, what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I experienced some pretty massive changes in my in my levels of gratitude, specifically where when I was living in the state of mind or the mindset where, you know, I was binge eating, my A1Cs were out of control. I I lived in a state of pity for myself. I had, you know, I had a pity party for myself every day. Why me? Why do I have diabetes? Why did my father die? Why why all this? Why is all these bad things happening to me? But in reality, you know, every single one of us, you know, especially if you have the ability to listen to a podcast, you know, you have a, a cellular phone or a computer, you know, there's two-thirds of the world barely has running water or make two or three dollars a day, you know, just to know that we have a roof over our heads and to know that we have clothes on our backs and that we have, you know, somebody to speak to that, you know, about our diabetes, if we have a computer to connect to the internet, we have so much at our fingertips that I think that we have become, like, I don't know whether it's numb to 
but it's just things that we have to be grateful for all the time. And if we don't take the time to, I think, daily, I mean, I do it a few times daily to sit down and say, I call it gratitude stacking. It's actually in my book where you just sit down five minutes, quietly close your eyes and just think of all the things that you have to be grateful for. I mean, it could be anything. I'm grateful for my cat. I'm grateful for nature. I'm grateful for the ability to get up and take a walk. I'm grateful for running water out of my faucets. Just the smallest things that we take for granted, when we start stacking them on top of each other, it's, it's very difficult for gratitude and any negative emotion to exist in the same space. So I think gratitude erases fear. It erases anxiety. Even if it's just for that moment, it's a moment where your heart can be at peace. And I think it's very important to do that. Because a lot of people right now living with diabetes are feeling deprived during the holiday season. They can't go to that party. They can't uh, eat that. They can't wear that. They can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's all the can'ts. And so you're really saying if you kind of change that and you start looking at what you're grateful for and what you can do today, that could really impact the way you see the ho- yourself through the holidays and and beyond. Absolutely. And there are so many things that we can do. You know, you can go to holiday parties. You can do anything you want. You know, you can experiment with low-carb, you know, cooking. For Thanksgiving that just passed, I made a, a paleo. I mean, I don't subscribe to any particular diet, but by paleo meaning there's no flour, you know, a carb. I made a pumpkin pie for my entire family that had, I think it had about, five grams of carbs per slice, and nobody there knew the difference. Not a single person knew that that was a a low-carb pumpkin pie. We can, you know, you can bring a treat to the party. You can empower yourself by getting in the kitchen, you know, spending a little time online looking for low-carb recipes that you do enjoy. So instead of feeling deprived and focusing on all the things that you perceive that you can't have, think about all the things that you can have. You know, you can experiment. You can have fun. You can get in the kitchen and you know, if you have kids or anybody else involved in your life, get them involved with you too and, and see what new fun recipes you can make and then bring those to the party. I mean, it's, I think living in a, a mindset of scarcity and deprivation is the opposite of gratitude. And I think that, again, that's a choice that we all have. And just, you know, to bring it back, I don't, uh, trust me, living with diabetes is difficult. There is nothing, you know, I'm never going to say that diabetes doesn't stink. It does. But, you know, everybody's dealt their card in life. We all have something to deal with. And I think that the universe gives us what it is that we can deal with. And so if we have diabetes, that's just something that we have to say, okay, this is my card, this is my hand, I'm going to play it, and I'm going to play it full of gratitude, and I'm going to, you know, attitude is everything. I'm going to have a great attitude towards it. And whether you believe that or not at first, you know, fake it till you make it. Because guess what? It's not going to happen overnight. Health is a journey. But it's a journey that we get to be on if we choose to. You know, 1922, there was no insulin. We didn't even get the chance to be on that journey back then. And now we have the chance to do that. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so grateful for that and so many other things. Well, guess what, Danielle? I'm grateful, too, because we have the chance to have some fun right now and play a game. I'm going to play a song. In that time of the song by Mariah Carey, you're going to go grab your purse, okay, wherever your purse is in the house. I hope it's something beautiful. We are divabetic. And we're going to find out what's inside your purse. Are you ready? Go grab your purse. Oh, I'm gonna... Let's listen to Mariah Carey, everybody. Well, Danielle, grab Joy your purse. To the world, the Lord is there. time. Thank you, Mariah Carey. It's time to play Diva, What's in Your Purse? with the author of Unleash Your Diabetes, uh, Unleash Your Inner Diabetes Dominator, Danielle. What's in your purse? Uh, everything. <laughs> you want to yeah, know everything? Start pulling, what kind of purse do you carry, by the way? I was thinking Chanel. Uh, but well, uh, brand is, I mean, there's no uh, special brand. It's actually called Black Rivet. It's okay. cuter in color. Uh, I have a wallet. I have some um, hand lotion. Uh, some hand sanitizer. You're not going to name any brands, are you? Sure, go for it. Uh, I have Eucerin hand lotion. I have Purell hand sanitizer. I have some Aleve. I have a Tide pen. 
I Wait one second. Do you ever notice when you use hand lotion or that sanitizer that it affects your blood glucose numbers when you're checking, you're um, doing a finger prick? That's a really important thing that you just brought up and one of the tips that I tell people all the time that in order to get an accurate blood sugar reading, you absolutely must wash your hands thoroughly beforehand or carry with you little alcohol swabs and thoroughly swab that surface because anything that's on your hands will affect the blood sugar reading. Hand sanitizer, hand lotion. If you just had an apple and any of that, you know, you touch the apple with your finger, that's going to mess up your reading as well. So you're, I mean, people don't realize how much of an effect uh, unclean hands can mess with your blood sugar reading on your meter. All right. What else have you got in that purse? So I have a bottle of Humalog. I have some syringes. I have uh, a blood sugar tester, a, a one-touch ultra blood sugar tester, uh, a pen, a nail file. Uh, I actually have a little knife. I mean, do you live in Philadelphia? Philly <laughs> um, oh. okay. divas, wow. <laughs> uh, I have a little uh, packet of travel stevia. I have some floss. <laughs> I have some tweezers, some chapstick, some lip gloss. Uh, All right, Danielle. Well, I think yeah, she's proving to everybody it. right now that this diva on the go is ready for anything and ready to celebrate the holidays. And one of the best ways, I would think, to unleash your inner diabetes dominator is take a page right out of Danielle's book and be and plan ahead, right? Every, you're prepared for anything with that bag. Absolutely. And it's not even that big. Not that big of a bag either. <laughs> How much does it weigh, though? That's the question everyone's going to be asking Yeah, that is later. Perfect. You'll have to put that on Facebook for us. All right, well, thank you for being on the show. All right, now listen, our diva inspiration, Mariah Carey, has a new children's book titled All I Want for Christmas is You. And she's also performing tonight at the Beacon Theater in New York City. And guess who's going right after this podcast? Yes, I'm making Divabetic History by attending Mariah Carey's Christmas concert with a beautiful date, my niece Ashton. And um, just for those of you who can't make it, let's hear another song before, before we meet our final guest. Here's another song by Mariah Carey. You're listening to Divey's Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and it's time to get some final thoughts on gratitude with my last guest of the evening, the wonderful, lovely poet, Lorraine Brooks. Hello, Lorraine. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry that uh, I couldn't join you earlier, but I'm glad I got in just under the wire. No, I love it, too. I think it's great. You know, um, all year long we've been talking about the emotional side of living with diabetes with our good friend, Dr. Bab. And certainly for a lot of people living with diabetes, the holidays pose to be a difficult time. And I'm just curious to know how you um, how you experience the holidays. Well, you know, the holidays are always a little extra charged for me because my birthday is the 28th of December. So I have Christmas and then I have my birthday right away and then I have New Year's right away. And so that week for me is is always a lot of hustle and bustle and a lot of celebration and, you know, not enough sleep and not enough rest and the whole thing. So over the years I've gotten to where I um, I really have learned to pace myself. And uh, I, I don't overdo it on any one occasion. I, I try to think ahead what's going to happen in the next couple of days. And I try to really, you know, practice the moderation uh, uh, and um, just try to, you know, pace myself one day at a time. You, you were just talking about what you have in your handbag. And I, I'm sitting here thinking, my God, uh, you don't have enough time on your show for me to tell you everything I have in my handbag because that's me. I'm, I try to be prepared for everything, you know, um, and I think, you know, I, I, I take it in stride. I mean, I, I don't think 
I think that's what you have to do when you have diabetes. You just have to take it one event, one day, uh, one thing at a time. And, and I mean, both you and Danielle are showing that it is possible. You know what I mean? If you prepare ahead and plan it out, you know, it might be a little bit heavier. You might have a few more items in your bag than your neighbor. But the truth is, like, all of that goes to being grateful and just allowing you to really experience the holidays and the joy in it, not only with all the major holidays, but with your birthday as well. Well, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, I, I I pack a suitcase, you know, wherever I go. Um, I'm taking a car trip tomorrow, and I'm already thinking ahead of uh, what I need to take with me in the car, and you know how I need to pack and how I need to plan ahead. And um, yeah, it is it, it's taxing at times, but it's worth it in the long run because if you plan ahead, then no matter what happens, you, you're prepared as opposed to being you know, stuck in traffic or not able to get to what you need to get to, you you always have everything that you need with you. So on the one hand, yes, it, you know, it it, uh, it it's it's a little, um, you know, it, it it requires a lot of thought ahead of time, but I think it, it really pays off in the end. All right. Um, I love that. And now we'd love to hear your poem for tonight. Well, you know, you're talking about gratitude, and um, uh, I, I, I have come to the point in after 30 some odd years of having diabetes. I've come to the point where I really am grateful. I, I, I I'm grateful that I've learned to take care of it. I'm grateful that uh, I don't have any major complications. I really don't have any complications, and um, I think it's because uh, of you know that I've changed my attitude over the years. So when you asked me to write this poem about gratitude, um, a lot of things uh, came up, and so um, I think you'll enjoy it. It's called Grateful. Shopping in cities with big crazy malls, answering emails and returning calls, holiday parties with glitter and mirth, visiting family from all around the earth, hustle and bustle and running around, no time for resting, no time to sit down. But is that what this is really about? Is Christmas supposed to be knocking us out? To me, it's about not the drinks and the food, but rather the time we spend doing things good. To me, it's about not the presents and toys, but rather the gratefulness, prayers, and joys. The messages Christmas and Hanukkah do are peace, love, and kindness, and thankfulness, too. Same thing with Kwanzaa and all of the rest. They show us that gratitude's always the best. That Jesus' family could not find a bed, it meant he was born in a manger instead. That oil that was barely enough to give light provided the comfort and warmth for eight nights. And instead of remembering why this is relevant, we call out our brethren and do things malevolent. Regardless the challenge we face day to day, we've got to be thankful we're really okay. We've got to give thanks we have things we can use, and we've got to give thanks we have freedom to choose. I choose to be grateful for all that I've got and not to be jealous of things I have not. I'm grateful for numbers that stay in the range and try not to worry about things I can't change. I'm grateful for meters and lancets and pumps and people who keep me out of the dumps. I'm grateful for lights and the cool decorations and for holiday treats, if I use moderation. I'm grateful I still have the will to succeed. I have more than I hoped for and more than I need. So let's all make a promise to stop being hateful and focus on staying eternally grateful. Bravo, Lorraine, and what a great way to end the show. Well, I want to thank all my guests for for being a part of the show tonight, and thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to our DivaBetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org and visit our DivaBetic Facebook pages as well as our YouTube channel. Remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage. I'm so glad to be part of, your, uh, be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. We're going to close the show with one more gospel tune from Mariah Carey's Merry Christmas album, courtesy of Sony Music. Happy holidays, everybody. 
Terror. 